This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello and welcome, everybody. A little bit of exciting news slash information before we jump in. Uh, this week and next week, we're doing what I'm calling the two-part Under Oath miniseries. So today we have Spencer. Next week we have Aaron. It's going to be so awesome. So make sure you're subscribed. That way next week, boom, you'll be all caught up with everything Under Oath. Now here we go. Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. This is Shane and only Shane. I'm waiting for uh, Spencer from Under Oath to call me, and uh, he's 14 minutes late right now. I'm looking at my phone. I got this all set up on the uh, on the laptop, just waiting for him to call. So maybe it'll happen. But hey, enough about uh, enough about that. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm having a great day. Uh, Actually, a quick story. I uh, I got stuck uh, trying to go to Pittsburgh <laughs> uh, to see uh, Brian Fallon from Gaslight. He was doing um, a solo uh, show down there, and uh, I'm friends with uh, uh, him and a couple guys from his crew and wanted to go down and hang out. So uh, uh, my girlfriend and I got in the car, and we got to, well, I guess it's Westfield, New York, if anyone knows where that is, uh, about halfway between um, Buffalo and Erie. Uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, it got fucking crazy. Uh, we had to stop, pulled over in Westfield, New York, which is, I mean, it's one of those cities, you know, if you blink, if you blink, you'll miss it. Uh, we, well, we ended up going to a CVS. We bought uh, a chessboard, uh, and we had a very, very quiet night at the uh, theater motel. Uh, thank you to the uh, lovely staff of one uh, at the theater motel for uh, your hospitality. Uh, but I'm back now in Toronto, and uh, everything's everything's great with me. And I'm just uh, waiting for Spencer to uh, give me a little ring here. I guess this is the real uh, lead singer syndrome uh, coming through here. You know, being a rock star, being late. We'll see if he's got some kind of story. But anyways, while I have you guys here, uh, I got to tell you about my new solo project. Uh, it is out now. I have an EP out on Rise Records and New Damage in Canada. It is just three songs, uh, but you can order the 7-inch uh, online. It's also on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. It's called River Oaks, uh, and I, I played all the instruments myself, even the drums, which, um, you know, I, I guess I can hold my own, but, you know, I've never played drums in a band, like, for realsies, you know? <laughs> so it was tough, but it was a challenge that I welcomed. So please check out the EP, self-titled, River Oaks, riveroaksmusic.com. Other stuff, uh, if you want to support the show, it's real easy. Uh, all we're asking for right now is if you buy anything off Amazon, use this link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That takes you right to the Amazon homepage. Uh, you log in as usual, and we get 4% of whatever you buy, and it costs you absolutely nothing. So uh, it's real easy. If you go and you buy some, I don't know, some condoms or something, hey, we get 4%. It's perfect. And what else? If you want to get in touch, if you like the show, uh, if you got suggestions, of course, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. We also have the hate line, 657-666-H-A-T-E, hate. 
Uh, that's what you need to call if you're not so happy. And I know I keep saying we're going to roll clips. It is coming. It is coming. We will roll clips. I got some funny ones. I can't wait to play those for you guys. All right. I'm still here waiting. Spencer hasn't called me yet. He's now 30 minutes late. But it's cool. You know, I'm just hanging out. You know, I got some work to do. It's good. Uh, I think this is going to be a good good interview. But uh, now that he's late, I'm going to really have to grill him, I think, on some stuff. I'm going to really have to uh, ask him those tough questions he might not want to answer. That might be his punishment. It's now 3.41. He's 40 minutes late. This is really turning into some rock star shit. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to give him a hard time about this. Still waiting on Mr. Chamberlain. And I really want to know what's the, what's the story is here. What's going on? Let's see if he gives me a ring or if we're going to have to reschedule this. Oh, I think this is him. Hello? Hey, dude. What's up, man? Hey, man. There you are. <laughs> Dude, totally, totally blew that one. <laughs> uh, what happened? I thought you said four for some reason. I don't know. I had that in my head. I, w- I remember telling my brother. I'm visiting my brother right now. Yeah. He has a four, he has a four o'clock conference call. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I got a call at four o'clock too. It's I'm one of those things, t- man, where you where you just see the number and then in your head it's one thing and on paper it's another. Yeah, I and, don't know what. And what you know I was what, thinking. man? I'm just glad it wasn't me because it's like it's always me. <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's like I'm late for everything, you know. Like you know, like I used to be in a band, um, like when I was younger, and everybody in the band would tell me like an hour earlier than everyone else, so I'd be on time, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, totally. that's me. So, uh, I uh, are you you're, are you good to do this? I don't want to, because yeah. uh, I know sometimes it's like ah, you had your day planned, and I'm like, don't want to mess no, it up dude, anymore I, I'm than literally... I already am. I'm literally chilling. I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow uh, to go home, so I'm, I'm literally just kind of chilling, hanging out. He's working from home right now, so he's busy, and I'm just kind of chilling with family, you know. So good, good. Where, where, uh, whereabouts exactly? Yeah, uh, most of my family's in North Carolina. That's like where I'm originally from. Yeah. So I'm in Raleigh. I don't know if yeah. you've ever been there. Oh yeah, Lincoln Theater. Lincoln Theater. Yeah. That's that's the place I know best in Raleigh. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know how it is when you're when you're touring. You see like. You the think venue, you know a city? It. Like, I think I know Atlanta. No, no, no. I know the Masquerade. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know anything <laughs> else about that city, really. That's cool, man. So uh, are you, you guys are gearing up for this very big Under Oath tour. When does yeah, that start? Dude. Soon, right? Uh, the, the first show is March 16th. So and, you guys uh, started, um, like, getting together, practicing, all that? No, everyone's doing their, you know... We've all been living our own lives for the last three plus years. Um, so everyone's doing all their own, you know, sit with a guitar, make sure you know all the vocals. And Aaron's got his little studio set up in Salt Lake City to where he's going over all yep. the drum stuff. And hopefully the guys like Tim and Grant and James who haven't played a, a, a show since the last show, hopefully they're playing their instruments uh you know, on their spare time, but we, yeah. we start meeting up in February. So I love, um, I love in your DVD that you put out, uh, the tired violence DVD at the end, how you're just literally throwing your gear into the crowd. Yeah. Just like, yeah. just won't be needing this anymore. Like this yeah. is the end. So here, take I'm up, like the, like seeing the, the, um, slow motion of Chris's like mixer gear, or whatever yeah. flying through yeah, the air. He was has like, to buy all new stuff. <laughs> he has nothing. Grant has nothing. Yeah. Tim still has some gear, I'm pretty sure. I don't think James has any gear. 
right? Uh, I have everything because I've been on tour since the sure. since the last show. So seeing seeing that DVD and and I just watched it recently. Um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about you guys, you know, in a long time, really. You know, like like we were friends so long ago, yeah. and uh, you know, some of the first memories I have of you guys, uh, like you know from like 2004 like when we did warp tour that first time and then and all the off day shows we did yeah we exactly. almost every single day on that warp tour that's right yeah yeah and we, we did all that together and then seeing you guys uh like talking on the bus and like russ was there you know uh like your, your first tour manager russ yep. um and seeing you guys all together it was like really heartwarming to watch it and i'm almost glad that i watched it now as opposed to if you guys had put it out in 2013, because I think it really would have hurt me a lot more. But I'm yeah. watching the DVD already knowing you're getting back together. So, yeah, that's a, that's a huge difference. Yeah, I think the crazy thing about that DVD that a lot of people don't know is, to me, it's half the reason why the band got back together. Because why it, why it took so long to come out, because the company who agreed to do the DVD ended up folding uh, as a business uh-huh. and disintegrating and left us with an unfinished product. So after a year of this thing was supposed to come out six months after the last show, like this was supposed yeah. to be the parting gift for the fans. Like it was going to be like, yo, we didn't play everywhere we know, but here there's this rad movie coming out. That's pretty damn honest and transparent yeah. about sure. what's going on. And it just it just stopped. And after I think we hit like a year, it was kind of like okay. So Tim reaches out because someone contacted him about this isn't going to come out. And I think that is where the band goes. Okay, well now we need to start talking and communicating. So there's email chains going around yeah, with everyone yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And then before you know it, we're communicating again. And I think that brought us kind of back together, uh, like coming up with ideas of how to finish this and who's involved with what. And, you know, we started talking and remembering why we were all, why we did it in the first place. We sure. is because we're all friends and we all love each other. And I think honestly, I mean, there's many reasons why we got back together, but I think one of the, the main, re- the main starting what, what lit the fire was honestly that DVD not be not coming out because we had to start talking. And once you, realize what's going on and how you know you start missing each other and i'm sure which would have happened anyway but that really sparked the fire in our communication again that must have been so funny because you start talking about putting out this dvd of breaking up and then by the time it's actually out were you guys already in talks about getting back together for real we joked about it (laughs) we we joked about like i remember someone i think i want to say it was grant goes you know let's play a show you know, chasing safety is turning 10 and this was 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And we were all like, dude, that would be so fun because the, pre-, you know, I think what's, what's really huge about this is, um, not to toot our own horns, but under is a band that's big enough that can all, that doesn't need to tour full time. Yeah. Um, I think we can all agree that like, like the, you know, a lot of these bands like Incubus or Deftones, you know, they kind of, they're not on tour all the time. Like our scene, we were taught to tour 10, 11 months out of the year. And I think Under Oath was still doing that throughout its prime and through the entire end. It was like, if you're sitting, you're losing money. The way our, our right. business was structured to was you tour 24 seven. And I think as people get older and become men and have wives and families and, you know, real life stuff happening 
that becomes you pick one or the other. And I picked music and those dudes picked having kids and families, which is completely fine. But I think getting to the realization of where it's like, wow, now that we took two steps back and we're moving a step forward, you look at it as, you know, this band doesn't have to be 10 months sure. on tour a year to stay afloat. We've been proven, you know, by our fans, which is the other big reason why I think the band got back together is because under fan base never faded since the last day. There's still as many, you know, tweets and Facebook mentions oh. or whatever oh, you yeah. want to talk about, about under from, you know, from the day we broke up all the way until the day before we announced getting back together, it never faded. Like those people were die hard. And I think it's cool to realize they're like, you know, that band is, is who it's going to be. And it's going to be the caliber of who, of who it reaches. And that's the fan base. So most of the time when you're touring is you're trying to reach a new fan base. You're trying to gain more fans and more followers. I think under oath is what it's going to be. And you can, you can tour once a year and keep your fans happy and put sure, out a record whenever it's ready and not be so like in the grind all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And I think that's where we're at in, in that's really awesome because it took the pressure off everyone. And now we can all remember why we did this in the first place, that we do love each other, that we are friends. It's about the music. And it's not like about we're not grinding, grinding, grinding to where you forget, you know, half the time while you're even up there. That's you right. know, And that's that's you really hit the nail on the head with that last point. But I mean, when you watch the DVD and I, I like referencing this just because it really paints this picture of your final moments as a band. And I mean, you're just basically coming right out with it, like saying, I don't want to stop. Like I want to yeah. play. Like I want to play forty more shows. And if we're going to break up, I want to at least go everywhere one more time. And you're like, I mean, you said some some things like, you know, I'm not going to try to live some normal life now. I think was like a direct quote. You're like, this is yeah. all I know, and I've been honing my craft for ten years, and this is me. And honestly, like I, I looked at it and I thought about you guys, and I remember back in when we were touring together, like. I mean, and, and Silverstein, we go hard too, and we've gone hard, and we haven't really stopped, but we take a few breaks. Like, you guys never took any breaks. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like, I, you know, you look into somebody like Tim, especially, like, just he's doing all the stuff on the business side. He was just tired. Yeah. You know, and he just missed his, missed his family and wanted to go home and couldn't understand that how much it meant to him because he was right there immersed in it. And I think it would, it would have been too difficult for you guys to just say, okay, well, we're just going to, we're not going to do under with how we know it. And we've done it for like nine, 10 years. We're going to do it just once in a while. And then it's yeah, like, I think that would have been equally shocking because that didn't make sense in our heads because we left like you guys, like I was 18 years old, you yeah. know? And it's like, you're, you don't understand like this is the this is I've been in bands since I was in literally I think I played my first I've said this in many interviews before and my first sold out show I was in a band with my older brother and his friends and the first time we played a show that was sold out I think it was 12 years old I was a guitar player <laughs> and I was like you know and it wasn't huge it was like a 200 cap little venue in my hometown or whatever but you know the first time you know Under Oath isn't the first band I've been in I've been in bands my entire life I've probably been in you know 20 or 30 bands and when it finally does click and happen and you're like, well, obviously at the time this music wasn't on the radio like it is now. It wasn't on late night TV like it is now. It wasn't popular like it is now. It's not, it was It's no. like to me screaming has become mainstream kind of, and it wasn't. So when something clicks, when you're doing something different, 
and you you got to go well it's got to be because of our work ethic it's got to be because we we play 300 and something shows a year and yeah. that's got to be why this is working so in your head it doesn't make sense to do it any other way until you take 10 steps back maybe and i think it is definitely what needed to happen and it was a hard journey that the next couple of years of my life were very tough after yeah. the breakup um yeah well the other thing too is like the way you guys had been existing it's like all under oath. We're putting all of our all into this band 100% of the time, you know? And then it's like, okay, when we decide we don't want to do that anymore, then everyone else decides because they've lived that way for so long, well, we have to put our all into whatever we're going to do next. Yeah. And I think that that's a big reason why it just wasn't feasible at that point, at least, for you guys to be an off and on band. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think, I think another huge thing is like, when I said earlier, when we, you know, when we met, I, I was probably 19 when I met you and we were touring. And, um, I think what's, what's huge is that when you do start a band and, uh, you know, maybe probably a lot of your listeners on this podcast are probably musicians are in bands and they might be younger. You yeah. don't realize that a lot of times bands start because you're all pretty similar. You're all in the same music. You're all in the same thing. And, you know, you start touring, you get into a van together in your late teens or whatever, <clears throat> fresh out of high school. You're all kind of the same dude, give or take a face and some personality traits. You're all like kind of on the exact same team. And then life starts to happen. If you stay on the road, you know, in, in your 20s, you kind of start becoming a man and you become different from your bandmates. A lot of you become individuals because think different things shape your life be it you know family you know girlfriend or maybe you you lost a, a sibling or a parent or a loved one sure. you know like yeah. different things happen in your life that will change you completely and then all of a sudden you've gone through some different things as your your late teen friends that you're in a band with and and you realize that you you aren't the same person and for a band like under oath that was very 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 hard to accept each other's differences because at first we were a Christian band at the beginning, and yeah. that that changed as people grew up and started to believe in different things. And people, we were all like, it was like a little fraternity. We were all like the same kind of dude with the same personality competing with each other. And then we all, real life happened, and we're yeah. all these individuals that have struggled with different things. And no one can accept each other for these differences. And what's great about now is coming back to the band is we're all men that have established our own lives and individuality. And now we can accept each other. It's like, you know what, Tim, you might be one of my best friends and me and you can sit down in a room with two guitars, write the best, you know, heavy music ever. Like we always have, but I can accept that we're cut from a different cloth and we're, we have a lot of differences. We're completely different humans. Like, right. You do a lot of things that I wouldn't do and vice versa. And we, and that's, and okay. that's okay. Yeah. And, and that's it, okay. It didn't, and it didn't used to be, you know, the amazing thing is that like the whole core of acceptance and acceptance of people like your brothers, you know, that's such a core Christian belief. Yeah. It so, is. so to not have that is, you know, is, is well, always thought, I always thought that part was weird about the sort of conformity that, that a lot of time goes into, um, you know, into religion and, and all that. But I mean, what you're speaking and what you're saying is so true because, um, I mean, I mean, when I really got to know you guys was back in 2005, we embarked on both uh, Silverstein and Underoath's first overseas experience. Yes. You were, and we shared a bus. Do you remember that? 
Yes, I do. I will never forget that. <laughs> I'll never forget that. We had um, we had three bands on one eighteen bunk uh, bus. We toured mm-hmm. the UK. Uh, three people. We had twenty one people actually, and the bus only slept eighteen. Uh, oh man, it was it was yeah. Crazy. We had some couch dwellers. Yeah, we had yeah. And and what I remember most most about you guys is you guys were like. Yeah, I mean, everyone knew you were a Christian band, but we toured with other Christian bands that were like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what like non-Christian. I don't even know what that means, but like, you guys were <laughs> legit. You guys were le- like, like so legit. You guys, there was no drinking, there was no swearing, definitely no women. You know, there was no drinking. I think there might have been some. I don't know. Maybe no, not, you know, the only person the that drank at least like openly was Ronnie, your sound guy. Yeah, uh, and maybe um, I, maybe we weren't. I guess I was 21 at the time. I don't know. I mean, I, you guys, I, do know, I don't know. I mean, maybe I know there was some light casual drinking through the entire tour, uh, the entirety of the band for some guys and some guys didn't start drinking till later. And I'm pretty sure everyone. Yeah. Within a couple of years, everyone was, was, you know, if you were of age, you, you drank, but you know, nothing crazy. I don't think, but yeah, I think at the beginning it was definitely a, a lot different. Than- no, and I mean you guys had Bible study, you know, like Russ was leading Bible study. Um, yeah, I remember one time Grant's Bible uh, fell from the top bunk, like through you know the side of the bunk, and hit Neil in the head while he was sleeping. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, uh, no, I just remember, I just remember you guys being like super, super legit Christian, and people kind of even asking me like, Oh, are those guys like really as I was like, yeah, they don't swear around me. Like I heard Tim say crap once. And that was like the worst thing I've ever heard any of them say (laughs) to, to, you know, to, you know, fast forward to the end where you're basically like, you know, you're swearing on your DVD. Like you don't, you know, and, and that's okay too. Like, you know, you you grew as a person, but it's just an observation that I made and knowing you guys for so long that I, I found interesting. Yeah, I think in a lot of for a lot of kids that that's difficult to understand when a band puts themselves as one way. And I, you know, even from the day I started playing with that band, I never thought a religion should be tied to a music, a genre, or a band. I think once you put a phrase in front of a song or a band, be it Silverstein or be it Under Oath or be it Radiohead or Dave Matthews or whoever the hell you're talking about, I think. The minute you put rock or country or straight edge or Christian or vegan or mm-hmm. Satanist or atheist or whatever you're putting in front of it, you've just defeated the whole purpose of music, which is supposed to be a universal language. It's supposed to be for everybody. And, you know, whether you're, you know, be it your taste of music or not, putting a, a category and then a genre, you've already turned off a lot of people. Right. But you guys clearly understood that early on because you guys toured. You guys didn't exclusively tour with Christian bands, and like we never toured with Christian. No, bands. and yeah, you, like we you used to see that all the time in that scene. That you know the same tooth and nail bands would tour with the same tooth and nail bands all the time, and yeah. you guys never did that. Yeah, it was just. I think that was a, that was a huge. You know, people people grew up and changed, and not saying that you grow out of religion or by any means because. A lot of people have, are exactly the same, but I think for some people, life just has a different path for you, and I think that's okay. Yeah, and I think that's all in the understanding category of being an adult and being a human being and realizing 
especially this day and age, you know, it's like expecting two people to be the same is just psychotic. It's like everyone's different. Everyone's right. path is different. Everyone deals with different things. We can relate on a lot of levels, but no two people are going to be the same. Right. Or, and they're going to feel exactly the same. Well, so I guess I you think. had that realization. I mean, you said when you guys decided, actively decided to unlabel yourselves. Um, whenever, whatever year that was, I mean, that was later on. Yeah. I think um, it was 08, but you must've had that realization too. Like back in 06, we were together when you guys dropped off the warp tour. Right. And that to me, I remember vividly that whole thing. And I remember, <laughs> I, I'll tell a quick story. I remember one time I was walking, uh, you know, like you would at warp tour walking through and I was carrying two beers. I had one beer in each of my hands. I don't know if you remember this. And I was just, you know, walking around. I don't remember going to watch a band or something. And I ran into you and you were like, had this big smile on your face. And I was like, what's up, man? What's up, Spencer? You're like, dude, we just got our numbers. We sold like a hundred thousand, like 90,000 or whatever. And we're like number two on the billboard. Yeah, 98,000. And I was like, fuck, that's amazing, dude. I like, I can't believe it. And then you were like, can I have a beer? Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah," and I handed you a beer, and we like sat and we, you know, we we drank a beer together. And I was like, I felt like that moment, you guys realized that your popularity was like real, because yeah. before that, like even though you had we had big crowds, both your band and my our band, like on the Smart Punk stage, you know, four, and you know, we were selling out like places like the Auto Bar in Baltimore or whatever, like. It didn't seem like it was real until, boom, there it is, number yeah. two on the billboard, 98,000 sold or whatever. Like That can never be taken away. So how was that for you at that, at that moment? I remember I wasn't a big numbers guy. I was always a – I've been obviously a music fan my whole life. I think I remember calling my brother, my older brother, who I'm actually visiting right now, and being like, I'm pretty sure – I know number two is huge. Like I knew that was like a huge deal. But wrapping my head around that, I was like, is that 98,000? I was like, does that mean just no one else big came out or released a big right. record? Or is that a huge number? And he was like, dude, that's a huge number yeah. for five days. Because technically it's five days of counting because they do, I don't oh, know yeah, when, yeah. when it stops, but the first week of Soundscan is technically five days, I think. And he, he was just like, dude, that's insane. And that's when it kind of like connected in my brain. I was like, all right. My older brother, who obviously knows more than I do, uh, <laughs> is telling me this is insane. And I think that was – I remember sitting on the on the curb in the sun, blazing sun, like on the cell phone and hanging up in this – I'm normally the kind of person I pace on the phone and sure. I think I was pacing. And then when I hung up, I sat on the curb, which is very uncommon for me. I'm always moving around and you know, I'm, I'm never really sitting still anywhere. And I just sat down on the curb by myself and just like kind of thought about it. I was like, this is – this is weird. You know, I, I didn't even know what to think about. I was like, well, I'm, I guess that's what's happening. And I was really, really happy because I was really proud of the record that we did right. And it was, you know, it was my favorite thing I'd ever been a part of yet. And yeah. I couldn't say that about the record before. I was indifferent. You know, there's things about it I liked. There's things about it I hated. And finally, I was happy with something that I had created. And, and it was it, massive success. And it was a massive success. And I remember just sitting there going like, wow, like, this might be the the coolest thing that's ever happened in my life so far, you know? Right. And yeah, that How was crazy uh, as that. And you, you have that realization and yeah. And I mean, but th at the same time, those kinds of that kind of achievement can change people. I think it does. I think success changes everyone, whether they like to admit it or not. And I think 
that could be anywhere from, you know, the most common is the big head ego guy who thinks, you know, he's the shit. And then there's the, you know, there's all the way to the opposite where the guy that goes reverse and like becomes a recluse and doesn't talk to anyone or, you know, mm-hmm. is yeah. like super overly humble and very uncomfortable, which happened to some of the guys. I saw both sides in our band. Right. I definitely saw the guy that thought he was the man and I saw the guy that thought he didn't deserve anything and, you know, sort of wearing rags for clothes and trying to eat out of the dumpster and stuff like it was, it was insane. I saw both sides, you know? Yeah. Well, that really does go to what you were saying about finding your individuality as a band. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so I guess when you guys had that, that blow up and left the tour in 06, um, that was probably the first realization of that. Yeah. I think that was everyone dealing with their, cause I think the, it was the, the, the splitting and the, and the dealing with things were starting to happen. I know 2005 was a huge year of going around the world for the first time to a lot of places and starting to headline and selling things out and writing that record and going through, we were already going through some issues at the time. And, early 06, you know, finishing the record and then touring still. And by the time, by the time Warped Tour came out, when it happened, we start, we were already in completely different places. People were dealing with being different and yeah. everyone was different. Everyone was different, you know, um, including myself, you know, like I went down uh, an equally dark path as the, as the other two guys that were going through totally, totally different things. And I think we just got to a place you know, where people were uncomfortable with each other. And it was like, well, you know, I'll never forget that either. You know, that was a very negative, uh, awful conversation that probably shouldn't have gone the way that it did. But it, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. That was, a, that was, if you can imagine having the best thing in your life happen to you, all right, well, we're done, you know, know, cause that's what happened. That was, we, we were done or they were at least done with me at the time, you know, and that was like, all right, well, here we go. And that was extremely strange. And I think we, we made it, we made amends within a month and worked things out and, and talked. Uh, but it was, I don't think the understanding of each other happened until the breakup officially happened. And people talk now like brothers. It's insane. It's because like we started as brothers like, and I think within two years we weren't, and then we went, you know, yeah, eight or nine more years as not being, you know, it's on cool. the same page. It's totally then, nuts. I mean, I was talking to Adam from Taking Back Sunday just the other day, and it was the same thing with him and John, you know, they didn't, yeah. they had a blow up and they didn't talk. And then it's like, now they're buying houses on the same street, Yeah, you know, and, and um, I want to talk about Taking Back Sunday later too, actually, because, uh, you know, you know, you probably know a few of their songs. but before we get into that i want to ask you about um about you know you you mentioned they're only chasing safety being kind of like for you there's parts of it i mean i'm I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit but parts of you that you would kind of take or leave yeah i mean i think the whole band i mean there's reasons why there's songs on that record we never played live ever i mean this tour where we're doing both records back to back will be the first time we've ever played some of these songs live. Right. And there's still arguments on <laughs> who has to sing which part, you know, because they're, you know, it's like, no, you're going to sing it. No, I don't want it. You're going to sing it, you know, because 
I mean, me and Aaron did, did a lot of, of that vocal stuff together and, you know. Well, I want to ask you about uh, that. I want to ask you about that because you came in the band and you replaced uh, Dallas and, and, you know, I wouldn't say Under Oath it was like, they weren't massively successful by any means, but they'd put out a record and they'd toured, you know, na- nationally. Um, right. And, you, you know, it was kind of like your job to come in and replace this guy. And correct me if I'm like way off base here, but like you come in the band and you're like, okay, and you know, you're a guy that's going to be doing the screaming. And all of a sudden it seems like Aaron wants to sing way more. Yes. Did that throw you off completely? Like throw you off your game or, or did that take you out of your element a little bit? It was a little strange at first and it was weird being, I'd never joined a band before. Um, sure. That, that wasn't my band already. And it was, it was also strange because as if you've heard of the under Oath records go on and on and on. And I was a singer in a band before I wasn't screaming. Well, okay. the band before the, okay. So the band I was in when they met me, I was screaming in because I was just a metal band, but the bands before that, I was just singing and it was strange because I was like, well, we can, we both can do this, but we, we did. And there's a lot of times it's both of us singing together, um, especially on lost in the sound of separation. There's no one does, two things of themselves where we, we did it like a, like a live band would do it. Um, and there's a lot of things we did. We sang the same thing together or it's him and you think it's me or it's me and you think sure. it's him. Like we, there's a lot of that on all of the records and we did work well together. The first one was a little strange. There's a couple songs I did by myself and wrote by myself and a couple songs we did all together. And it was just strange. It was just kind of like testing the waters for me. It was right. just kind of like, I I didn't know, you know, like they listened to things that I didn't listen to. We were all friends, you know, like me and Chris lived together before I was, you know, playing with them. And yep. it was, it was a strange making of that process. I picture um, it in my head. Like you came into the band and it was like, you know, you're the new guy. And like, I can just picture, you know, like, let me feel your heartbeat racing. Like you'd be like, well, am I supposed to sing that? Yeah. You know, and I, was, I always was, wondered, I always wondered because were, it was interesting, but I, I, <laughs> I also, I, I I talked to I think about Greg, who's a good buddy of mine. He sings the Dillinger Escape Plan. It's like he joined yeah. that band, and then the first record they put out was with Mike Patton. You know, I was yeah. like, that's strange. That you was know, so weird. I remember that. Sometimes, happening. sometimes things, you know, it ended up working out great because if you fast forward, you know, two years into making to find the Grand Line, that was just like, all right, well, it's a completely different band at that point. Like, yeah. the, it's completely different dynamic, and it's got a lot more energy and a lot more you know i think it, it i explain to people a lot because back then and like, like we're that old but you know in 2004 you would see a band and your experience might be different so you can chime in to me you know being from where i was from you saw a band in the scene especially you saw a band live before you heard the record yeah. Always. Yeah. You would go to a show to see another band and you'd see one of the opening bands. Cause back then, unlike now bands picked who they wanted to tour with and who they wanted to take on tour. Now it's all about money and numbers and social media and who your manager tells you to tour with, who your agent wants you to tour with, who your label wants yeah, you to bring I, out. There's you know, a lot more of that for sure. Yeah. Not, not a lot of these kids are picking the bands they want to bring. They're bringing the band who's going to fill out the venue or that their team is telling them to bring. Back in our, when we first started, it was different. So I know me being a concert goer before I was touring full time, I would see bands because I would go to see, you know, for example, being from North Carolina, I would go see Hope's Fall and end up seeing right. Every Time I Die, you know, and like, cool. And I'd go to the merch table and buy 
a CD and a shirt. And then I'd listen to Every Time I Die. I was like, cool, awesome, this band rules. I'm going to go see Every Time I Die. And then I'd go see Every Time I Die. And uh, some other band was opening. And I, if I liked it, I was like, this is rad. And that's how I think it was back then. If you saw Under Oath Live on their Only Chasing Safety it, the energy and what was going on was a lot more like to find the great line than it was. They're only chasing safety. It was violent. Yes. It was a lot of energy. We were breaking stuff, jumping off stuff. It was a lot more violent than what the record sounded like. It was very polished off and very clean. And, you know, and that's not what the band ever sounded like live. So once, once the, the band actually took the direction that I felt like it was supposed to go in, and to find the great line was written and recorded and put out. I was very happy. Right. Um, oh yeah. Because it felt like we weren't trying to be something we weren't. And that's why I make that statement about chasing safety. Um, not that I am embarrassed of it or I hate it. You know, there's songs on there that I'm proud of and I, I do enjoy, I think it did a lot for our career, but I think the reason why that sounds like such a growing pain from chasing safety to define the great line and on, which was kind of a natural progression is because I think it took us a minute to, you know, I came in when they asked me to join the band, I said, no. And then they (laughs) asked me again and I said, no, I had heard the demos that they had with no vocals on it. And I didn't like it. I thought it was too, I just didn't like it it, 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 enough to be like, yeah, I'm going to quit the band I'm in. And then the band I'm in broke up and they asked me to record these two songs for, we recorded three songs and they we were going to play two, a show or two. I, I can't remember if it was one show or two shows. Yeah. And then, and it was, and I think they were going to break up or change their name or do something different. And I was going to start, I was working on a new project anyway and whatever. And we got the first practice, we got in a room together and went over the old songs and then started writing immediately. And I think that was because we were all excited and it was, the energy was great. We were getting along me and Aaron were best friends and me and Chris were living together, you know, sure. like, so it was natural. And then I think it wasn't natural until we realized, Oh, the record sounds like this. And we we're play like this. And we're on tour for a year. And we're like, all right, well it just kind of naturally shaped into that define the great line sound. Hello, this is Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. And on my podcast, I've interviewed the who's who of the emo post-hardcore scene to only preserve that special time and place before the internet and Zuckerberg ruined our lives for good. Consider it your history lesson in all things emo. The podcast has been featured in iTunes, the Pitchfork Review, and the AV Club. To listen, go to iTunes.com slash washedupemo. Don't even think about trademarking emo night. If you're in tech... You've been there before, feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and MapMyFitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. 
Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash LSS. But I mean, your voice, I mean, you have, I mean, I guess a part of it too is like a lot of people thought back in the they're only chasing safety days you weren't a singer you could make like maybe even that you couldn't sing it was aaron does the clean vocals spencer does the (laughs) screaming and you know when you listen back to that record and i put it on the other day because i knew we would be talking and i i i still love that fucking record man but uh uh there you actually sing on it a lot more than i kind of noticed yeah like i hear your voice and i'm like oh that isn't aaron that is spencer and then Fast forward to the last record you guys did. Uh, it's amazing. Like your yeah, vocals the, are amazing yeah. on it. Thank like you. I couldn't Appreciate believe it. it blew my mind when I heard it. And I wonder kind of how much of it is, was you just like, you know, owning your craft over the better part of a decade or how much of it was really like you could do it the whole time. You just felt like your place was to be the front man screaming. I, th- I think a little bit of, I, I mean, I definitely think if you listen to this uh, singing part on they're only chasing safety, and you pop in my new band Sleepwave, which is ninety nine point eight percent all singing. Right. And you listen to the difference. There's definitely a huge improvement. I think. I mean, I've always been able to sing. I don't think any vocalist should start a band and can only scream. I don't think that's being a vocalist. I think that's probably not a wise idea. I think yeah. knowing how to sing before you can scream is very key. And I sang in bands, punk bands, thrash bands, you know, rock bands, you know, soft acoustic bands, pop punk bands. My whole life, I was the singer. You know, they always pushed me out front to be the singer, even when I was little and, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a little kid. It was always what they did because, like, even my first band with my brother, my cousin, who my cousin wanted to be the guitar player and singer, and eventually I was the singer. You know, it's like, in I you know, was in choir as a kid and in chorus in school and my whole life. And I think 
when under oath first started, I wasn't sure of myself or what, you know, I was very immature for my age. <laughs> I was very, very far behind on, you know, how a, how a 18 year old should be acting. I was more like, I was like 13. And, um, I think that when I was focusing at first, just on being in a metal band, which was the band I was in before that I wasn't singing all the time. And then I joined a band that was singing and screaming and I wasn't too sure how to go back and forth all the time. And then, before you know it, I'd figured it out and realized I started going to see a vocal coach in 2005 and I've, you know, Melissa Cross taught me, um, a few things about myself and really helped me understand myself and to where I haven't even gone for a lesson in, I mean, almost eight years, but she, I still see her all the time. Every time I'm in New York, she comes out, we talk all the time and, she taught me how to take care of myself and what I I was capable of. And if you being a singer, you understand it's a, it's a muscle. The more you work out, like, you know, the new fad right now is to get buff and be in a band or something and work out in the gym all the time. Your voice is that gym that you should be paying attention to equally as well. Because if you're, if you're singing scales and you're taking care of your voice and you're not, going in cold to practice, just singing or screaming, and yeah. you're not going cold into a show ever or a uh, rehearsal or a recording. And, you know, normally I'll take a week or so off after a tour, unless I have another tour coming right up. Let's say I have a month off. Yeah. I'll take a week off, and then ha- and then I start playing around. You know, I'm always playing. I play piano. I play guitar. I play, I play everything but horns, basically. I, you know, I'm always playing the instrument. I'm always kind of singing around. In the shower, you know, sing, walking around with the acoustic guitar, singing through my house or whatever. But then I start at least a week before practice starts. I start doing my warm ups every day because it's a yeah. muscle. It's just like if you stop working out, you stop bench pressing, and sure. then you go oh, in the yeah. gym and you bench whatever you benched last time you were there. You wake up the next day and you're going to be sore. And oh, yeah, well, that's the, the the two things that every musician knows is the bang. Well, the one thing is the bang over, which is like yep. after after the first show, the next day everyone's neck hurts like crazy yep. from head banging. People <laughs> like people that don't you know tour think it's hilarious, but it's a real yeah. thing. It kills, it real thing. and it's the same thing with um, with a singer's voice, which is for me. Um, I like to do. I like to only do like three shows maybe, and then I need a day off, uh, like the first week. You know, which is ideal. I, and, and like, I agree. Uh, like Soupy from the Wonder Years was telling me, he he only does two to start. Yes. and that the whole reason is just because guys like uh, me and him, we just don't warm up. <laughs> like we we aren't in shape when we start a tour. Uh, yeah, and and for me, it's tough just because like I live in an apartment. Like I guess I could belt it out here if I wanted to, but you know, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but um, I want to ask you a little bit about Melissa Cross because um, I actually. Uh, took two lessons with her. I think you might have told me about her, which is why I actually probably um, I, t- I used to tell everyone about her. She's yeah, my girl, I think that that's know. what. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I think that you were the ones got got me in touch with her, and I thought she was like nice, and she sh- she taught me a lot about warm ups, but I didn't actually learn much about screaming. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, she might work with screaming with other people, but I didn't even touch on that. I I mean, we go, we went in, and she had seen me play a couple of times, and she was like, well, you know what do you want me to do with that? That's like, you've got that all figured out. Oh, you know? okay. And I think, I think with her, it's all the singing because if you know how to sing and you're a singer before you're a screamer, I don't know how it works. If you were the other way around when you started screaming in your first band and you're trying to learn how to sing, I don't even know how that works or why you would even think to do that. But right. for me, 
she was like, the more you were, you strengthen your singing vocal cords, because a lot of singers can't scream. But if you can do, if you're a singer and you can scream, and she can work out so you can control your singing better, you're going to control your screaming even better. And that, I think I find that true to this day when, you know, I've been on tour all year and the few, you know, if, if I'm screaming at all, it's just like, this is cake because I've been taking so much care of my, you know, doing all these warm ups and singing all the time that now it's become, cause I know how to use that part of my voice. This is even easier because you've got more control. You've got more breath. You can pitch it better. You can control it better. It's sure. not just going up there and just going for it or hoping it's going to sound right or wondering what, Oh, uh, I wanted it to sound like lower and then it came out in the middle or higher and it came out not high enough. You know, now, you know, it's like going to hit a note. You're not thinking about it, but you know where it is in your throat and you know what you're doing, you know? And I think screaming should be addressed the same way. It's, it's all about control and understanding the instrument. And I think most, a lot of people don't know that, you know, no, and I think no. she, her approach is getting you comfortable as a vocalist in, and just teaching you how to, strength and strengthen your your muscle and, and you, everything else just kind of falls in place i'm sure if you asked her you know like what's how do i do this and how do i do that she would she would help you but i never did i, w- I went to her just with an open mind and yeah I, it's one of the best things i think i've ever in, invested in well she definitely myself. gave me a sort of confidence and she some of the warm-ups that she gave me i still do the do to this day like i still, I still you know, do and, and i think that she's awesome for that so if anybody uh wants to sing like spencer uh go to melissacross.com we'll give her <laughs> a plug go. there but i mean with sleepwave being you said 99.8 percent singing have you been screaming at all since the last under oath show yeah i do the, we the band live i'm the same way i was in under oath I don't, if you've ever seen under oath play live you go see the record but you'd always see all these things that weren't on any records, like these interludes and these jam right, things yeah. and these long drawn out things. And a lot of them would have vocals in them and we'd write those. And I, I'm very particular about the way the set is going to flow. Sure. And with Sleepwave, I spend, you know, a couple weeks before the live band shows up, you know, working on, you know, the keyboards and the guitars of what's going to go in between the song. And then once I, you know, once the live band learns that stuff, I decided which parts are going to be a good part for me to take a breath and, and just let it be instrumental, what parts I'm going to add vocals to. And some of that stuff, depending on what tours we were on, because we did tour with a lot of heavy bands, we had some parts in the set that were just crazy heavy, you know, and um, with a lot of screaming and stuff, just because I know there's some Unreal fans in the crowd and people are getting used to seeing me under a new thing. So uh-huh, I like to uh-huh. in, involve some things that, you know, it's not like we're going to get up there and cover an Unreal song, but there's definitely parts where it's like, all right, the way this song ends we can draw this out and we can make a moment out of this. That's going to make some of the heavier fans more happy, you know, or just, it's going to be fun, you know, like let's do this cause it's going to be awesome. And, and on certain different tours, those definitely were heavier, screamier parts because I don't think the record called for it as much as sometimes live. It does, you know, sometimes right. you're just playing it's- live and you're singing something and you just, just, ah, I can just want to scream. And then, you know, I call it the glass jaw, I think Daryl Palumbo is the, the key of how to sing and scream properly because he'll sing and you just like, as you're starting to feel the hair on your arm stand up, then he just lets out this scream because it'll feel like, 
one dude who captured passion very well was him on on the, on worship and tribute. Like that's the like you're singing and you're singing. It's getting more intense. You don't know what else to do, so you're just Rah! you know, and it just comes out. And it's yeah. so rad. Well, he and, he had an amazing mechanism where he could be singing a note and it, it would just sort of morph into a scream like seamlessly. Like it wouldn't. I, yeah. I still don't really know how he did how he ever did that, but it's amazing. Whatever it is, it's awesome. <laughs> the only bad thing about about him is how many assholes have uh, tried to imitate him uh, and totally sucked. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> That's the, that was the, always the worst. There was like an era there for like five years where it seemed like every local band would be some terrible glass jaw wannabe. It was the worst. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, what's next with uh, Sleepwave? You got, you got this under oath thing, which will be yeah, taking up so, a lot of your time and then you're going to be working on that again. Yeah. So I've, uh, it was funny because when I showed my manager where the new record's heading, he, he was seeing my schedule that I've had for the last year. He goes, how in the hell did you have time to pull this off? <laughs> I'm just right. like, you know, this is, this is what I do, man. It's like, I can't stop writing music. So I'm about halfway done writing the record. Um, I, I was just for the holidays and, um, uh, was moving into a new place and the rest of this month I'm, uh, finishing like writing blocks. I'm doing a block of writing now by myself and then do a block of writing with Steven. Who's the other guy in the band, um, in Florida next month around the under oath practice. Cause we start under oath practice and most under oath practices are at night. So during the day I'm going to be writing. Um, and then that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm going to do a session. I'm going to do a writing block with, uh, with drums involved, I have a, a drummer who has been with me for a while and he plays live. He's not really in the band, but he tracked on all the demos and I'm going to have him come down and kind of see where we, where we land with some of these songs. So my goal is to be technically if I'm around 15 to 20 songs, I feel like I'm pretty ready for a record. And I normally write some songs while I'm in the studio as well. Uh, my goal is to, you know, I'll be focused on under oath come, you know, fe- most of February and all of March and April and hopefully May or June enter the studio with Sleepwave and make the second record and start touring, you know, immediately yeah. after that. You know, it's not like uh, I'm doing one thing at a time ever anyway. So. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I know. And trust me now, I'm, I'm working on a solo thing myself, and th- this podcast is taking up way more time than I thought it would. Not to mention Silverstein, we never slow down. So I'm, I'm a busy guy, so I can relate to that. Yeah, um, it's, it's, Based on what you were saying with, um, with the playing live with Sleepwave and being like, oh shit, like, I feel this scream, I'm, I can incorporate that. Can people expect the new Sleepwave stuff to be maybe a little bit heavier? Um, from what I've re- demoed out so far, I think it's it's more broad. So I think, I think broken compass sound, if you see the band live, I, th- I compare it a lot to, cause a lot of kids will come up and be like, man, I had no idea. This is, this is fucking un- unreal. You know, like, um, I think it's like very, very chasing safety. I think chasing safety did not really sound. It never sounded anything close to what we sounded like live. And whether yeah. that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I think, Sleepwave sounds like the record, but there's a lot more grit and it's dirtier, it's grungier, and at times it's heavier and at times it's softer. And I think 
that is an example of me not being there for the mix, which I was oh. kind of unhappy with, and it got very cleaned up. Uh, all the guitars were were dirtier when I left, you know, and you know, it it wasn't. I think, you know, maybe the label and, and the and the mixer cleaned it up a little bit when when we were on tour, and that's that, that stuff happens all the time. And I'm still very proud of the record, but it's definitely if you've seen it live. And a lot of people have because I've been on tour for the last yeah. year. If you've seen it live, you can expect more of what it's like live. There's a lot of those, you know, there's, it's just like under oath. There's stuff, I'm, tons of stuff I'm playing live that's not on the record. Uh, and the new stuff is, direct, it's way more broad. It, like at times it's, it's, it's poppier and softer and more piano based. And then there's times where the heaviest, parts that have happened have happened on some newer songs, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, um, it's cool. Cause I, now that under oath is back, people understand what I'm up to. I think, uh, I think it was hard for people to understand why would you abandon metal and hardcore and the scene and this, that, and the other. And I'm, you know, if anyone that has ever met me knows that I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a, I'm a, you know, like for the people, like you said, when you first heard under oath, he's not, I was just a guy screaming or, the guy screaming and singing in a metal band. I must be the metal guy. I'm the front man of this, this hardcore band. And most of the people that met me understood that I wasn't, I was, I was, I do love that music, but I was also, you know, my, I was at 18. My first tattoo was like a Radiohead tattoo. And I loved Coldplay and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. And I also loved Alice in Chains and Nirvana and the Deftones. And at the same time, I loved Poison the Well and, Hope's Fall and uh, Meshuggah and you know like, I mm-hmm. just I was a I'm a music lover I love music so Sleepway wasn't was not is is a thing of for me to not just play metal for another ten years like I was like I was so excited to be in a rock band like this is great I can I can focus on songwriting you know like right. well, the first thing that my dad taught me was the Beatles and that was very song oriented and that, I always feel like. Kurt Cobain took the the Beatles approach and and spiced it up with aggression, and I thought that was genius. That was that was like my favorite band as a kid. That was everything to me, you know. And I, I just wanted to do something that was more based on melody in the song and less on the riff, 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 riff. Because being a guitar player, me and Tim writing riffs after riff after riff after riff. I was sick of writing riffs. I wanted to write some songs, you know. And <laughs> I totally get it, man. But I, I mean, and, the other thing is like. It's way more of a challenge for you to start something like Sleepwave, uh, which is a little bit out of left field for, for, I mean, I'd say for the casual Under Oath fans, because if you just started another screaming hardcore band, it would be yeah, it would way, be way easier for people to I'd understand be on every, that. I could have been on every heavy tour, you know, selling a lot of merch and, you know, doing, it would have been easy. It would but have been now, easy, I think, yeah. I think now that the under oath is back together. It's easier for a fan to understand what I'm up to. Cause it's like, now what? So if I started an uh, under oath part two with another group of guys, which I never wanted to do, I said, if I ever play heavy music again, it's going to be with those guys. I said that in an interview before, yep. like as the band was breaking up. Uh, and I, and I meant that I wasn't just hinting at sleep. It was being different. I, I meant that with all my heart. I yep. couldn't, I couldn't fathom taking the easy way out. And now that that's an option, now that kids are realizing that Under Oath is a band, and whether that means a new record or just some tours here and there or both or whatever, it's way easier to understand. It's like, because what would happen now if I just had Under Oath Part 2 and now Under Oath 1 is back? Now I'm just an idiot, you know? Like, hey, I, Yeah, and I haven't <laughs> thought about that. That's a very and, interesting observation. And now it's kind of like, 
you know, you can see me do two different things if you'd like. And if you only like one, that's up to you too as well. <laughs> and I don't really care. You know, I, it's for me as a musician, it's freedom. And I think that's what, that's why people start playing music is because they want to create something that's themselves and to create a metal band again, but wouldn't have been myself because by myself, that's not how I feel. You know, with those guys, that's how it came out and it made sense. But to force that just myself wouldn't have been right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So you say, you keep saying under oath is back. So is under oath back? I think, I mean, in my head, I think the conversation we've had is like, we lifted the hiatus, whether that, you know, that means what Incubus did and they, they did one tour every two years and then made an EP and put it out and made a record or what the refuse did, which was play a couple of shows after they did their, when they got back together, then when it take them two years and then they just put out a record, what was it this year? Or yeah. two, 2015. Yeah. Like, and yeah. now they're, they're back. I, you know, I, I can, I can confirm that there's been no music written. Uh, there hasn't even been a practice yet. Um, but I can also say that we, we definitely, that's not off the table, you know, uh, me, Tim and Aaron being the, the guys that do a a majority of the writing have spoken about just questioning each other. Like, I hope your mind is, my, my, my mind is open and if it makes sense and it's natural, for all of us at, at, over the next couple of years of now that we're a band again, because we are a band again. That means we're getting in rooms together and playing music. We're getting on flights together. We're getting in a bus together. We're going to be on stage together again. Knowing the three of us stuff is going to come out, whether we release it or not. I don't know. And I just think the only conversation I've had with those dudes about seriously thinking about another record is if it's not, better than the first time you heard define define the great line like the blow that that hit you in the face with was like wow then it's not worth releasing because it's got to be the best thing we've ever done by ten thousand miles or start over and try again and if that takes us a year that takes us 10 years or if we never even worry about it because we're too busy doing other things those are all options and i don't don't really know the one i do know that i'm open you know i'm open to writing music with my friends whether that means we're going to write a record or not who knows but I, I've definitely been open to it, and I don't think it's going to be right away. You know, I don't. I it's obviously would take a, a long time, especially with everyone's schedule. And you know, Aaron's in Paramore, I'm in Sleepwave, Tim has a full time job, and so on and so forth. You know, sure. No, I, um, I totally totally get those uh, obstacles. But I mean, the one thing about Under Oath is, I mean, you guys have never phoned it in. I mean, whether no. it's been a tour, a show, a festival. Or of course any of the records you've done, and they've always been, they've always been fantastic, and they've always been next level. I feel like they've always been exceeded expectations, um, you know, every every step of the way. So um, I agree. I, I I think it's awesome you guys are getting back together. Uh, when you guys are in Toronto, I will be there. Awesome. What's really sad about Toronto to me, being a huge great market for us and a lot of bands, is they tore down the cool house. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's gone. And um, when we booked the tour, I remember because Toronto was a huge conversation because it's the only Canadian show on the tour. Um, and I was like, well, it's got to be at least the Sound Academy, if not bigger, because that's where we did our farewell show that yeah. sold out super fast. And the Sound Academy is going to be closed for six months during oh, the time. Oh, I didn't know that. 
they're going to be reconstructing. So we're playing some venue that's way too small. That's I, I don't really, I don't know what the venue is, and I know it's the Phoenix. It's, uh, it's I was out. it was a real head scratcher when I saw it too. It's yeah, well, a, that's the only venue. It's a twelve hundred cap room, yep. and it's it's not my favorite. Um, it's the only venue that was available, and be it like I told a lot of people this tour happened because everyone, all those guys have jobs. They all got off their work. There was no way to move around stuff. Yeah. There's no way to add second dates. We could have added second dates to all these shows. I know. Uh, and I was really upset about Toronto because I saw that and our agent was just like, it's either we play there or we don't play Toronto at all because sound Academy is going to be doing three months of reconstruction during the time. And they bulldoze cool house. And that's really our only option. Yeah, uh, there's Danforth, Danforth Music Hall, but yeah, I mean they they book they have like they have like 25 shows a month, I think. So it might, yeah. it might have been booked at the time. It that's that's just, a pretty good venue. That's um kind of a newer one that's popping up now. We we played there at Christmas. Yeah, it's a it's a bummer, but we'll we'll make the best of it. And you know, I I was a little upset about there was two shows on the tour that we had to make exception, like we had to just take what who was available and one being Charlotte, which is my, my stopping grounds and Adams from taking back Sunday. We were North Carolina boys and I was yep. upset about that. And I love Toronto and I was upset about that, but we're you know, playing you in Charlotte, a, Charlotte. We're playing Amos South end because it was, uh, I don't know. It's a big business thing where live nation and AG yeah. compete over certain things. And we're not allowed to play the Fillmore because we did all these shows with someone else that wasn't with the, this person that has that venue. And it's all about politics, you know, but yeah. those two, but that was, if we would have gone the other way with the other company, I'm not saying which company we went through. If we would have gone the other way, there was more venues we would have had to compromise with. Right. And so the only two of the shows are the two compromises were Toronto. And that wasn't, that was just primarily because the city didn't offer a better venue at that time in the year. And then, charlotte but well it doesn't matter okay. the tour is going to be off the chain oh, and uh, it's going to be so fun and you and know what kids, i like i kind of like amos i, I kind of like that place in charlotte kids anyways. actually like smaller venues better and i'm okay with that i just don't like the the production planned if the stage and yeah. the ceiling of the stage doesn't admit for the production the phoenix, i always feel bad the phoenix has one of the smallest stages ever yeah so i always it, feel bad for people that paid the same amount of money as the people before but the people the night before got led walls and projection right. screens and all these lights and then the next night people pay the same price and just because it's a smaller venue they don't get all that stuff and i think that's that's always a bummer yeah. as, a, as a musician on the stage being like man i feel bad because i wish these kids could have seen the whole thing but you can't win them all you know yeah so speaking of led walls uh how was the filling in for taking back sunday how did that come about well, that was the that was crazy. Um, we, you know, Under Oath and Taking Back Sunday have done tons of tours together. Um, we're all good friends. Um, me and Adam are actually both from North Carolina. We knew each other before. He was Adam of Taking Back Sunday, and I was Spencer of Under Oath. We were both playing in little bands together. Oh, cool! Or, I didn't know that. Uh, we weren't in the same band together, but we were playing shows together all the time uh, throughout high school uh, around the Greensboro, Winston Salem, High Point area. Yep. He moving to New York two years or a year before I moved to Florida. He was, he's a little older than I am. Um, and I could honestly say Adam is one of my longest running friends as far as since I was that young, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't really talk to a lot of people from when I was that young or no one. He, Adam's probably the longest friend I've had. Uh, whether we get to see each other a lot or not, you know, 
we, we, we still keep in touch a lot. We talk a lot. I see him for Christmas a lot. Um, but it was a situation where Andros had broken up and it was, it was crazy. I was in a really, really depressive state and pretty upset and still hadn't gotten over it yet. I think I was still angry and it was nine months, which is the longest I'd ever been since I've been since being on stage. Cause even as a kid, even in, when you're in a local band, you played at the very least once a month. At the yeah. very, very, very yeah. least since I was 12 years old. And this had been nine months since I had been on stage. The first time in my life, you know, since I'd started being on stage. Yeah. And I just was losing it. I didn't know what what was going to happen. And I get a very sad phone call because Adam is saying that he needs to go home because his wife is um, – you know, there's stuff going on in the pregnancy. They didn't know what was going to happen, and it was a uh, there were complications. Uh, yeah, there was complications, and he needed to be there. No one knew what was going to happen. It was very scary. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, everything turned out to be okay. She's absolutely fine, and the baby's beautiful and fine and really awesome. Um, but they didn't know, so Adam needed to go home, and they were halfway through a headlining tour. And for the listeners that don't know what that means, that means you've got, you've rented a bus, you have a crew, you have uh, opening bands, you have, um, you have lights, you possibly have a truck, you have printed merch. And most bands that, you know, you budget, you know, kind of give or take, you know, you budget that in your year of your salary of kind of like, okay, this is how I'm going to get by. And it's all been budgeted in there. You know, yep. like you're counting on this and these guys have families and kids. There is no way they can cancel the rest of this tour. Cause half of a headlining tour, you're going to lose more than what you would have just done. If like you booked only 14, you know, 20 shows Yeah, because of all the rental and all the money having to give back, the venues have already been, rented out the security guards have already been hired the tickets have been sold oh yeah it would have you been know, a massive headache to try to cancel dude, it would have been a, it's a nightmare if you have to cancel a tour um so they called you so that so they call they call adam was basically like you're the only guy i can trust i i trust that could do this as a friend you know as a friend and he knows how my singing voice is like and he is one of the guys that was getting all the sleep wave demos like i would i would oh, yeah. write a song and yep. record it and send it to it. Like, he heard the early demos from that record before Underworld was even broken up. He's heard half these songs. He's heard what I'm doing with my voice and what I'm up to. And, you know, and he's seen me play a lot a million times and vice versa and been on tour together forever. So the, he's just like, there was no question in my mind. There wasn't a, how much will I get paid? How will I get there? How many songs? What am I supposed to do? Like, it was just like, I need your help as a friend and as a fellow musician. And I didn't even think, I just was like, absolutely. So, then it's like a, a manager to manager thing of 18 songs and 36 hours and a, <laughs> and a flight. And I, and it kind of set in. I was like, Oh shit. Uh, yeah. I know I'm familiar with these songs, but I definitely don't know all the lyrics by heart. And oh, I yeah. definitely don't know if it's John singing, if it's Adam singing, if it was, uh, Fred, like, I, you know, it was like, Oh God. So <laughs> I get my, uh, playlist together of just all the songs they're playing in the set. And I literally stayed up all night. And at the time I was living in an apartment and I remember my neighbor banging on the door and I was like, I was literally, I had my ears in, so I couldn't hear anything. Oh, yeah, I yeah. was singing along full voice, reading the lyrics on every single song for the entire time. I didn't sleep until we traveled to the first show. And then I, I got on the, you know, we played the first show with a fly out and then I, we flew back to the bus and 
I was there for, I want to say it was like two weeks at least of shows and Oh, you did two weeks of shows? I didn't know it was that many. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. We didn't know. It was, it was a good, it was more than 10, I want to say. And it was, I I want to say it was two weeks. I was there. How many, how many shows until you felt like at all confident? Uh, one. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, what I did, the easiest thing I I did, I, I, what I did was on, on the set list, because we're all on eating here, so we don't we didn't use monitors, but I left my monitor up front. And on the set list, instead of printing it out on one page, I have their, their tech printed out on two pages. And what we do is just write the first two lines of the song underneath the song title. Cause for me, once I hear okay, you know, once I like know the first line, I would remember the whole thing. Oh but yeah. It was about yeah. uh, like it was just how my mind works. It was like ah, you know, I didn't, I wasn't completely familiar with, you know, every song title. And, and by the end, I didn't even have that up there anymore. But there was, there was the first couple of shows I had that like kind of a cheat sheet almost to where I could look down and be like, all right, uh, this song, set your faces to stone, it starts. And I would like read the first line as they're like ringing out before the song started. Like, all right, I got it, I got it. And then I would just run up front and like just yeah. go. You know, and dude, I, I would have, I, I picture myself trying to learn 18 songs in 36 hours and I would be like, dude, just get me a teleprompter. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was so fun and it was great to be back on stage and it was, uh, it was, uh, it was great to help out my friends. I love those dudes. Every guy in that band has never been anything but completely amazing and nice to me. You know, I've, yeah. I've spent a lot of time in my life with Adam and a lot of time with Mark, um, actually like, yeah, it, you know, like I used to spend a lot of off time on tour with one or the other or both of those guys it was we were just really tight and to be able to help them and to help adam and then and to have fun i had a blast doing it like yeah it sounds like something that you needed like at that time in your life at that at that time in my life you know it was it was great it was a good wake-up call to like you know get my life together and be like all right i gotta learn to forgive and forget and kind of move on and 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 focus harder and and you know realize that it's life isn't that all that bad and it was it was great man like i would i would do it again and the funny thing is there was a time before to where fred went home fred was on uh, a couple of the records who did the guitar and the second vocal really well yeah yeah and he um he went home on a european tour justin from sayosin played the guitar and a couple of songs, I'd come out and sing all of Fred's oh, parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we had kind of done that together, and that was me and Adam on the stage at the same time. And then we did that. The show that Adam came back, we did that. We, I came out for like two or three songs, and did we did like two, you know, dual vocals together, and as like it was a that's big cool. fun thing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, hey, that's uh, yeah, that's a good experience for you at that time, and and. Now, man, you, you're going to have a crazy 2016. Did you make any any New Year's resolutions? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you have to. You're not going to have any yeah. time to worry about that shit. Yeah, I think... Way uh, too busy. Trying to uh, enjoy life a little bit more. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, there's times where I can look back on pictures and go, man, I don't even, in, you know... I did have issues with substance, but like I never, I never did anything before shows and I never even drank even to this day. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a drinker and I have been since I was 21, but there's still times where I'll look back on things and not remember because you're that busy and you're that 
it's off to the next place, off to the next place. And there's certain things that Underoath did that I look at pictures of and I'm like, man, I don't, that's insane. We did that. I don't even remember that. That's like, like the biggest crowd you'll ever see or like, you know, like playing. It's amazing your perception, uh, how how much, you know, when you, when you think about something like the, the funniest thing too, for me is, is, is I agree with you. Like some of the, the festivals we played, you know, where there was like 80,000 people watching and I like see a picture and I'm like, I can't believe how many people are there in that picture. It's like way, way more than, than I remember. But then by the same thing, I remember the first time we ever went to California, we played a show at the uh, Showcase Theater in Corona, California. And we're like, yeah, we're here. We're in Southern California for the first time. And in my head, there was like 500 people in this room and it was like insane. And I saw a picture of it. There was like maybe 30 people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's funny how the perception can work both ways. Yeah, it, it definitely can. It, it, that's, that's absolutely true. I remember... Some of the first, some you know, the first year of touring with Under Oath in, in 03, uh, when I joined, I remember the perception of the band being like, wow, this band, you know, they have a music video and they're, you know, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and they, and they've toured nationally before that they'd done a couple of tours or whatever. And I remember joining the band, like the Florida show was sick and Alabama was, was cool and Atlanta was okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is exactly like the band I was touring in. This ah, is yeah, no one yeah, showing yeah. up. They're, these shows are tiny, uh, you know, because it's it's funny how perception works. And I think at this day and age, this is a completely different subject. I think that's one of my kind of weird thoughts about Warp Tour is some of these bands to the kids get they get this perception of this this huge band, and I think some of the band members get a perception of that they're huge too, which causes some you know some problems and kids feel really disconnected that this this is massive band. It's like no. Warp Tour is a you know there's a lot of people that come because it's Warp Tour and you're just playing in front of a ton of people because you got a good spot that day you know that doesn't necessarily mean that every band on the tour draws ten thousand kids you know absolutely you're, you're so, absolutely right man that goes it goes tons of different ways you know I I don't know I remember some of the bands being bigger or smaller than they were like we when we toured with the used doing arenas like that was oh I like, remember that yeah you guys played Arrow Hall in uh... yeah it was like. Yeah, literally yeah, insane. Toronto, yeah. And when we did the used Taste of Chaos thing, was was insane as well. And Austin Ting McSunday did an arena tour, and and these arenas are like you know full on hockey arenas. And then Sleepwave played with Bring Me the Horizon at Wembley Arena, and like you're, you're just like as not being the main act or one of the main acts opening and I'm looking at like wow, this is incredible. But like on, as Under Earth has played big venues bigger than that and i never you know I, I was always obviously very thankful but that doesn't go through your head of like this is crazy this band is this big you know and it's like we've done many shows that big but as sleep it was like obviously a great opportunity but yeah. it's just funny how you see things differently as an opening band a direct support band or a headlining you band do. it's completely different like that's right yeah it, it, it's wild and in, in the way that your brain can work and put you in different you know I don't know, just different different situations make you look at things completely different. Well, I guess one last question. I mean, you got any regrets about the way it all went down with Under Oath? Um, do, do you think like starting Sleepwave before Under Oath kind of finished, do you think that that contributed to the breakup or no. anything else? No. I don't think so at all. I mean, I, I was writing, I have half, I, I have three or four songs on a hard drive that I was writing after disambiguation, I had like 
programmed some drums and written some guitar riffs. And that was like mid writing under oath when I found out that they wanted to stop. I wasn't even, I guess my regret is, is having no clue that, <laughs> that we were about to break up. Like I've, I felt we had different times we had felt that way, but it'd never been real. You know, like you felt a bit blindsided. I, I was, I felt a little bit, I, you know, not completely, but I felt, a, I, I, I just never thought it, it was the right time. I didn't think it was fair to do as little farewell shows as we did still to this day. I think even if we did a full U S farewell tour, the reunion rebirth tour would be just as awesome and just as full and sold out as it, as it would have been. Otherwise, I think, I I think that was, that was sad to me because people were so good to that band and so awesome that it was really hard for me as someone that appreciated the the diehard fans as much as I did and as much the whole band did and I don't think anyone did it for bad reasons I knew they just didn't want to do it anymore and I don't want to force anyone to be up there but we were having fun on that farewell tour and I think right. if it would have just been booked all in all we wouldn't have talked about it beforehand our manager or someone was just like no you're doing a full tour like Amberlynn did or whoever <laughs> yeah. after us you know like that that would have been that was that's my regret. I and I wasn't yeah. and I did. You can see that very clearly on the on the DVD. How I was mad about the uh, breakup and I was mad about not doing a full tour. So I guess I got what I wanted. There we go. You got what you wanted. I'm, it took back, a few back, years. The band's back together. But you're back. And uh, <laughs> man, I, I'll let you go. But hey, thank you so much for um, for being on my podcast. And uh, yeah. I hope we can do it again. Uh, you know, sometime down the road. Yeah, let's let's try to link up again around the the second Sleepwave record and, and talk about that. that coming I would absolutely, out. I can't wait to hear it. And uh, and I'm, I know when I listen to it, I'm going to think about this conversation and heck yeah, you know, hear those songs. So that's awesome, Spencer. Well, well, thanks again. And uh, I got a New Year's resolution for you. Maybe uh, you should start uh, being on time for things. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, good talking. I'm to you, an man. asshole. Um, good talking to you, man. Are you playing either one of those festivals we're doing? Oh yeah, we're doing we're doing the so what? Yeah, I, okay, I can't cool. believe we didn't I'll talk s- about that. Yeah, I'll see you I'll in Dallas. You, uh, yeah, I'll see you there, and we'll we'll keep talking. Absolutely, man. All right, all right. Take all care. Right, yep. See ya. Take care. So we did show up after all, and uh, that was a great conversation. It really was amazing to me how after pretty much, I mean, what almost a fifteen year career under oath, just decided, boom, twelve shows, we're done. You know, no farewell tour. Uh, uh, you know, n- not going back to Europe, anything like that. Uh, and they just decided to end it. And um, obviously, if you watch that DVD, Tired Violence, which you definitely should check out, it's beautifully shot. It really gives a great emotional insight into uh, what they went through uh, as a band. And you can tell Spencer definitely didn't want the band to end. All right, I've dubbed this in later. It's midnight on February 1st. I have gone one month without drinking. Uh, yes, congratulations to me. So on that note, here we go. It's time. Oh, once it hits your lips, just so good. Hey, we'll see you next week. Aaron from Under Oath will be here. I'm going to leave you with the classic song as I'm drinking this beer, Goose Island IPA. Not that great, but whatever. It never gets old, catchy as hell. Here it is, Reinventing Your Exit on Lead Singer Syndrome. Twelve and high.
That's the way.